Well, we're going to talk television. We're going to talk lots of television, actually. We've got your calls on uh, bank security. I want to give you a warning about uh, prepaid mobile phones. I want to tell you about a very cool new thing for small business, and we're going to talk a bit of drones, too, this week here on Your Tech Life. Hosting for Your Tech Life, proudly provided by Web Central. Everything technology, from computers to mobile phones, TVs and the internet. Information you want, want all the help you need. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. Thank you for downloading. This is episode 320 of Your Tech Life. Uh, it is thanks to the good people at Garmin, Satellite Navigation, GPS Technology, Fitness Trackers, you name it, they've got it. And of course, Netgear's Arlo range of smart home security cameras, the Arlo Q is out now. Tell you more about them as the show rolls on. Lots of cool things to talk about this week. In fact, um, quite a diverse range of topics, let's say. Um, on the line, we have a couple of people wanting to chat. We, uh, we're going to talk about uh, computer issues. We're going to talk about someone who um, heard my conversation with the people from Acorns and uh, see whether or not that raises a concern for all of us. And um, if it does, I'll follow up on it. Um, I want to talk to you about television, the television industry and where they're going. I also want to tell you about television. Oh, my goodness, the most beautiful thing. Um, I want to talk about prepaid mobile phones and the risk that you run if you don't pay attention to the finer details. There are a lot of new drones on the market and there are some seriously smart people on in this country, not just this planet, um, thinking about where drones are going and how they'll be utilised uh, in both consumer and industry applications. Uh, we'll talk to someone about that. Um, and as I say, a very cool um, payment technology has launched in Australia. Uh, and you as a small business can now get access to that, um, which really changes a lot for um, for uh, small businesses, whether they're piano teachers or um, tradies. doesn't matter. It's a very cool thing. It's been around for a while, but it's finally in Australia. So we'll talk about that shortly too. This is Your Tech Life. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, it would be great. I now have stats. Uh, we're on the Wooshka platform. Hopefully the downloads are working beautifully for you. But it's really interesting to me. I'm able to actually see stats, proper data now about where people are downloading from. And um, without any question, the overwhelming uh, uh, data shows me that you are big fans of the iTunes platform um, because iTunes makes up um, a large percentage of of listeners. Um, uh, the, the, the stats are quite phenomenal. Uh, iTunes on the desktop, iTunes on the iPhone. Interestingly, though, and this I didn't realize, and um, please help me out if you are listening that way, Stitcher is absolutely enormous in terms of the number of... Uh, listeners that we have via that platform um and and with the greatest respect to pocket cast which i've loved as an app um not so many <laughs> a very small number of people using pocket cast so um i'd be interested i'd be very interested to know if you if you want to share with me what the app is that you're using to listen to your tech life and if you are using itunes uh just have a consideration for potentially um maybe leaving a rating, go to the iTunes store, search for podcast, search for Your Tech Life. It's very easy to do and you can leave a rating. I, I believe we are the most rated and reviewed technology podcast in Australia and uh, I'm quite happily proud of that. Um, and we do it all thanks uh, to you every week because without you there'd be no show. 
we'd just be gibbering. I mean, what would I do? So jump on uh, iTunes and leave a rating. It'd be greatly appreciated. Let's get cracking on your tech life. It might sound crazy what I'm about to say. But Trevor Long's the world's best techie. He's the kind of guy we picked on at school. And it wasn't fair. Freeview is an organization, it's an <clears throat> industry body, but it's funded uh, and represented by um, all of the free-to-air television networks. So 7, 9, 10, ABC, SBS all uh, contribute money to, to, to make Freeview happen <clears throat> and run Freeview um, with a couple of staff. And there's a, there's a chairman and a board and all those things. Now, um, really, if you're honest about it, Freeview's big thing in the past was digital television, uh, creating an EPG that was accessible on a whole bunch of set-top boxes and, and actually setting a standard for set-top boxes. So if you have a Freeview branded or um, uh, what do they call it now? Um, it's escaped me, but they, they verify that that's a, an acceptable box that meets their guidelines. Um, they that box will still work today and it will view all of the channels including the mpeg4 channels like 10 hd 9 hd 7 flicks um, because freeview as an industry body foresaw the mpeg4 revolution and made sure that that was part of those boxes if you didn't buy a freeview certified is the, is the word freeview certified product you um you absolutely can't guarantee that you can view those channels now then last year they launched Freeview Plus, which is a hybrid broadcast tech television technology that uses both the internet and your, and your television signal to deliver um, very interesting uh, internet content, and it allows you to have catch-up TV uh, on your on your big screen TV without a, an app installation. Um, I had a lot to do with the rollout of that um, as an industry, and of course at SBS, which up until tomorrow is my day job. <sighs> One day left. Um, anyone else nervous? Not me. Um, please send money. No, um, the so Freeview Plus is good, but the problem is it's it's a very small percentage of users and people. So there's a challenge moving forward. So Freeview have announced this week they've appointed Clive Dickens as their chairman, and this is to me a huge indication that they are they are moving towards an innovative and, and mobile world. Most likely, Clive is a guy I've known for a long time. He he came from the UK. Um, he was the head of a company called Absolute Radio over there, where he did amazingly innovative digital things before he moved to Australia and worked for Southern Cross Stereo, the Triple M today, Hit Networks. Um, and then he was poached by Channel 7 to be their chief digital officer. And, he now, and now he's, in addition to that, he's the chairman of Freeview. Now, I'll give you an example of, of one of the things Clive Dickens did in the UK, um, which maybe you could assume or, or hope is, is utilized here in Australia in television. And this was on radio. Now, the radio station he worked for streamed online. So you go to the website, click listen, you can listen to, the, listen to the radio station. If you registered for free, but you handed over your name, your address, your date of birth, whatever, and they knew a bit about you, you if you listen online while you're logged in, you got less ads. 
less ads. So the technology they created was basically that they'd, they'd squeeze everything around and insert an extra song, for example, into a, into a radio station. Um, so by listening as a registered user, you would get less ads and targeted ads. So they'd, they'd sell beer ads to you know 30 and to 35-year-olds, but a 40-year-old wouldn't get it. Um, it'd be, it's a very interesting um, technology. Now, imagine that in television. Imagine you're logged into the Freeview Plus app and you go to watch... Uh, a television channel. Well, the ads will be targeted. They could be targeted. So I think that's where the industry needs to go to ensure they get maximum revenue. That will drive up their um, their ad rates for those targeted ads. But critically, they're talking about an app later this year that will bring all the free-to-airs together in their streaming. So you can now stream Channel 7 on the 7 app. You can stream Channel 9 on the 9 Now app. Um and so you can watch live television, but you've got to open each app to find each channel. So I guess, and I have absolutely no knowledge, I guess the idea is that Freeview Plus as an app would allow you to basically flick through channels like you do on a TV, except you're flicking through internet streams. Hopefully it would also incorporate all of the catch-up content. That would be phenomenal. It's a huge investment, without question, from the, from the free-to-air. So we'll have to wait and see how it's rolled out, but I think it needs to be an, an all-encompassing app and it would be world-leading, if that's the case. So, interesting times for um, for free-to-air television in Australia. What do you think? Send me a tweet, at Trevor Long. Send me an email. Go to the website, eftm.com.au. Now, while we're talking TV, um, uh, LG invited me to stay in a hotel on Friday night, <laughs> um, which is a weird thing, but... See, the thing here is that the new LG flat-screen OLED TV's been, been announced, been revealed... And I'll give you an insight here. The way the world works is, you know, companies have review programs. They have devices they'll send out to you and you can you can review it. The problem with the television, it's a big thing. It's hard to ship. You want it for more than a week because you've got to kind of set it up. Then you've got to watch it. And it's just hard to manage. And it's obviously very expensive in terms of couriers and things. And they'll do that over time. We'll, get, we'll all get to play with these things for a bit longer. But what they did was set up several hotel rooms at the Four Seasons in Sydney. And journalists uh, or commentators like me... We're invited to stay the night. We were given the room for free and um, able to sit and watch this big screen TV that they've just revealed. Now, I took Jackson along. Um, we watched a couple of uh, movies on Netflix. Um, when he fell asleep, I watched a bit more and other things and essentially was able to get a very good look at this new flat screen OLED TV. They also had pumped through it some, um, some content coming from a, a 4K generator, which allowed me to see high-quality content. I had a USB stick with HDR, high dynamic range content on it. Now, many of the reviews, and I haven't read them all, but I'm sure they're very glowing um, because it is amazing TV. And a lot of them will talk about HDR. Let me tell you this. If you know what HDR is, other than just to know that it exists, then great, you'll love this TV. But a lot of TVs are coming with HDR. Hisense, Samsung, they're all talking about HDR. Sony, it's the, it's the buzzword of the year. I didn't notice a Zach. Couldn't tell you whether it's HDR or not. Because I just want a television with good picture quality and, and rich colours and dark blacks. It's very simple with television in my view. And the flat and the OLED provides that. Unbelievable blacks, unbelievable colour. And uh, and I hated the curve, so I love the flat. It's it just ticks all the boxes. I intentionally didn't sit and watch a lot of uh, specially generated content. I watched Monsters Inc. with Jackson, which is not uh, even probably not even HD, but certainly not 4K. 
um, and I watched a little bit of 4K content. I just wanted to enjoy the television as a normal use case. And you know what? It's magnificent. But it is $9,000. Uh, and the cheaper one is 5000 something. Um, so without question in my mind, and I've written a full review at EFTM, without question in my mind, the LG OLED TV is the best t- television picture you can buy. Now, the critical word there is picture. It's not the best television you can buy because overall, when you value for money, it, it's not. It's a lot of money. But by goodness me, is it is it worth it if you can afford it? So that's the challenge, really. It all comes down to budget and size. Are you willing to spend the money? And if you are, are you willing to, to get a 55-inch TV for a price that um, would also buy you a 65 or higher um, because you're spending so much money? But the picture quality is sensational. I personally would, would aim for the picture quality if I could afford it. Um, so I think it's a really interesting challenge for LG, and I think that their challenge is actually to uh, to try and try and build that reputation down into the lower price points because they make great TVs, but I just really need them to see, um, you know, a, a much higher end at the lower price bracket because that's how they're going to beat Samsung. They're not beating Samsung right now, and they need to. But a real challenge for them to do that when, um, when the, when they're priced, you know, out of reach of ninety nine percent of the population. But hey, absolutely worth going down and checking when I go to Harvey Norman, go to JB, go somewhere, check out this television. It's beautiful, just beautiful, and a great device to boot. It's uh, well worth a look. And my full review of the LG Flat OLED TV is now available at eftm.com.au. Talking technology without the jargon. Your, your tech, tech life, life with Trevor Long. Got a question, a problem, or you want to have a chat about anything technology in your life? Just go to the website eftm.com.au. G'day, Clyde. G'day, Trevor. How are you? Good, mate. What can I do for you? Hey, look, I was just sort of running along, listening to the listening, listening to the show and podcast the other day, and I was just um, concerned that maybe the listeners might not be totally aware of the obligations that they have and terms and conditions with their banks potentially with the Acorn solution. So, Acorn being um, the uh, the kind of um, small money savings app that turns into investment by linking your bank accounts into the app and allowing you to kind of keep track of spending and also make little tiny contributions to uh, to an investment account. What, what what are your thoughts on that? Well, first, I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, you know, I'm based over in New Zealand now, but I heard my sister-in-law talking about it about a month ago when I was back in um, in Australia, and I thought, that's a good idea. And I did inquire, and then coincidentally um, heard it on your podcast, and just thought, you know, any time, you know, working in the industry myself, we're always telling our customers never divulge your, your personal information, right? Particularly mm. log on and password. Yeah. Um, and when I heard that come up, I thought, ooh, ooh, that's something we probably need to explore. So that's an interesting point, right? So you're right. I mean, you should never give over your internet banking passwords and things. But uh, so when I signed up for the app, um, I felt like, but I don't have screenshots because I didn't do screenshots of that point of it because it was my private info. But if my memory serves, it felt like I was taken away to my own bank, if you know what I mean, to do the verification. Yeah, yeah so the, from my look, I'm look, not an expert, uh, but I would say from having a you know, more than a passing interest, um, they'll be using, I suspect, some sort of screen screen scraping technology, which, you know, from a banking point of view, um, we certainly as an industry wouldn't wouldn't encourage uh, no. users to be a part of. 
So when you say screen scoping, you mean that when I type information into an app like, like Acorns, we'll have to wait and verify whether that's the case. But um, they're, they're utilizing that information to log in <clears throat> to the bank uh, in the back end just as if they, they're me. They're using my details, you think? I think that's probably the case. And I know they, they, they go at pains on their website to point out their insurances and their encryptions. But you know, fundamentally, if they have an issue, um, and each you know, person needs to check with their own institution, but if they have an issue and it's caused that you know, you're, it's been a compromise um, and you've been shown to give your details to a third party, which the bank, bank or credit union would always warn against, then mm. um, I'm, not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure I'd want to be having that conversation with a large financial institution and their lawyers. Um, when you've just told them that you've given your information across to a third Because basically what will happen is you, you, you're worried that people will be liable for any losses that are occurred on their account because they thought they were doing it safely, but actually they... So I'm looking at it now, I'm looking at the screen that says, uh, you know, for a bank login. And it says, please use your internet banking login details to access your account. Now there's, you know, a nice St. George logo there, um, you know, and I enter all the information I would normally enter on the St. George website, but it's within the Acorns app. And you're saying it utilizes that simply to log in in the back end as if it's me. Um, but it's most likely also, do you think it's also storing that information at Acorns? Yeah, it's undoubtedly storing it because what they're saying, and I know they've written, you know, the CEO's written a fantastic letter just recently to Malcolm Turnbull. Um, they're saying they're using read only access, which I'm assuming is exactly what they are. You know, they're using read only access to work out how to round up. So, you know, in the instance of Acorns... Yeah, they're reading your statements uh, so that they can um, see what your spending is and then they're using... um, But they are using your um, your bank details to create withdrawals because you have to withdraw every week. Exactly. So they're using... So what they're doing is they're reading it to work out how much to withdraw then they're initiating a direct debit on your account, um, which is all probably fine until they get hacked. A very good point, Clyde. A very good point. And I think I need to speak to the people at Acorns because it's all well and good to say that. But now, you know, I'm basically at the mercy of Acorns, you know, financial, um, you know, backup systems. Because if, as you say, if they get hacked, what, what's my liability? Where am I at? Um, yeah, and look, we need to remember that, you know, we, the liability, you know, possibly is like, but that's up to the individual to assess. But, you know, eBay got hacked, right? We think, oh, the big guys, they can't get hacked. eBay got hacked. Um, it's, it's possible, right? Uh, absolutely. No, you're right. You should never assume anyone won't get hacked. Um, I kind of work on the assumption the banks won't because you know they're, they're pretty darn uh, secure. But there's there's still no way of guaranteeing that, is there? Look, I think a, a direct bank breach. I think you'd be pretty comfortable uh, with an Australian bank that you would be. You know, the, the bank would see you right. Um, it's probably. It's pro- I'd be more concerned in this instance where you know where 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 uh, Acorns gets hacked by some mischievous body and then they suddenly log into your bank account um, with the information they've derived from Acorns and start making payments. Yeah. Um, I'd be, yeah, look, great product. I'm just, you know, I think APIs is kind of where they need to get to. Um, yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a, but isn't that a, a, even a bigger, so that's a bigger issue for them because obviously it's much more complicated, right? But it's a safer issue for us. So APIs are a back-end way of having a verified connection that at least then the banks can see is third party and there could be some verification around that, surely. Exactly. And I suspect they haven't gone that route initially probably because of the mean a one-to-one you know, conversation with instance, each institution to develop the protocols, get them signed off, et cetera, whereas using the 
you know, my theory, the screen scraping, they can just get a one to many and boom, there, and, you know, they've got access to pretty much every financial institution in Australia, you know. Mm. Um, but APIs, that's, that's where, you know, I'd be challenging and saying, hey, that feels a lot safer to me. Interesting. A very good observation, Clyde, and I am going to follow up with the people at Acorns to see what they, what they, how they respond, because it's an interesting one to to give us all some some sense of of security around it. Um, until then, I've I've invested a bit of money. I'm doing okay in my little Acorns, but now I'm worried about it. <laughs> oh no, I'm pleased to hear it. It's an awesome service. I just let let's just hope that they can. Um you know, reflect on this feedback and think about another way to make it, you yeah. know. And that, they need bank-level security. We need, we need to have... We, if we're, if we're trusting them with our bank details. They need bank-level security. Um, and until Agreed. we know that, it's uh, it's not, not, not verified. All right, good man. Clyde, uh, I appreciate you listening all the way from Auckland. And uh, stay well, mate. appreciate you getting in touch. Great. Love the podcast. Thanks, Trevor. Cheers, mate. And if you've got a question, a problem, or you want to chat about anything you've either heard on the show or happening in your tech life, jump on the phone, one 157 157 or go to the website, eftm.com.au. The new addition to the Arlo family has arrived, the Arlo Q. Keeping your family and home safe can be a challenge, but the Arlo Q is designed to be an easy-to-use security addition to any home. With a bunch of features that will give you peace of mind, the Arlo Q lets you see and hear in perfect detail. It was, it has brilliant 1080p HD in, with night vision, so you'll be able to see what's happening clearly regardless of the time of day. It also features two-way audio, so you can talk with anyone who's there. You don't have to be a security expert to install the Arlo Q camera in your home. All you need is your existing home Wi-Fi network and the Arlo app. Arlo Q has free cloud recording, so you can store and review the last seven days' worth of recordings, plus free upgrade options. To learn more, visit arlo.com slash au. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. So some super awesome new plans uh, became available this week from Amazim. Um, the uh, the low cost uh, prepaid provider predominantly, um, who have almost a million customers, uh, announced great new data offers. So they, I think they boosted from seven gig to nine, from five gig to seven gig. So huge amounts of data. So their twenty four ninety plan has one point five gig of data. Their forty nine ninety plan has nine gig of data, um, which is just sensational. Uh, they also introduced unlimited international talk to. Uh, Standard numbers in 10 countries. Um, so some really, really cool bonus offers there. But the fine print read uh, the plan expiry on these, um, uh, you know, recharges is now 28 days down from 30. Now, two days, who cares? It's fine. But over the course of a year, that's an extra month. Very close to an extra month. So on a $29.90 recharge, you'll go from paying $363 to $389, an extra $26 a year, oh, just $3.90 short of an, another recharge. Uh, on a $49.90 recharge, it's going to cost you an extra $43.37 a year. So it is an extra cost. They've added data, but they've they've added um, they've added uh, a cost across the year. And I, I think the challenge there is to people. Like the five gig plan has kind of disappeared now because seven gigs great, but I don't want to pay that much every year. So I want to go down to a 29 plan, but I'm only getting three gig of data. So I actually think what they need to do is probably put in a, you know, a $32 plan there that has the five gig um, 
it's a challenge for them. I don't think people are going to churn as a result because you'll find most providers are at 28 days. But Kogan is a 30-day recharge, and there are others out there. But my understanding is the big telcos are all 28 days. So it is now uh, like for like. They're just trying to. They say they're just trying to make it easy to compare. But I think it's a challenge for people. And um, in, in reality, <clears throat> if you think, excuse me, if you think that if you're a pre- postpaid customer like me, I pay. Uh, I think it's $65 to Vodafone per month, calendar month. Doesn't matter whether there's 28 days, 29 days, 30 or 31 days. I pay that $65 and they give me service for that. Um, I think the telcos need to go, right, um, I tell you what, um, let's just make this really simple, folks. Um, let's let's divide 365 by 12 and it's it's 30.4 days. So even, even a 30-day expiry doesn't always get you through the year. It's, only, it's five days short of a year. But at least it's better than nothing. Uh, you know, 31 would be costing the money, right? So let's not let's not ask them to go 31 days. But I think 30 days is a fair and reasonable thing for people to expect. So um, yeah, just just be a bit cautious about that because um, the the total cost there. So the $49 plan, 49.90 um, by by it's not by 13. Uh, let me work it out here for you. So, if it's uh, 365 divided by 28, it's 13 re- 13.03 recharges. Let's just yeah, not worry about it. And we go 49.90. Um, so 49.90 multiplied by the 13, 648 dollars. Right? If you divide that by 12, then it's a 54 dollar plan. So let's be realistic. A Maysim's $49 plan, if you want to compare it to a postpaid opportunity, is $54. It's a big difference. It's five bucks a month. So, yeah. I just think people need to know about it. And that's why I wanted to raise that and make sure people did know that the world had changed. Uh, details about that are at eftm.com.au. And if you want to get in touch, chat about it, let me know what you think. Uh, you know how to do it. Go to the website, eftm.com.au or jump on Twitter at Trevor Long. I really want to encourage more people onto Twitter. It's a fun place to have a conversation and it's so easy to use. They have improved the the overall user experience, I think, for, for new users as well. So jump on twitter.com, you know, sign up and make it happen. It's all good fun. Join me there. Got a question, got a comment, got a trouble with technology in your life? Just go to the website, eftm.com.au. G'day, Roz. Oh, hi. How are you going, Trevor? Good. How are you? Oh, look, I'm really excited to be speaking to you. Well, well, who isn't excited? I mean, really? I'm I'm desperate to get some advice Mm. about how I get my information about my computer as to why it's not covered under warranty. It was new on the uh, 7th of March last year. Okay, so so hang on, let's um, just slow down. Slow down for a second here. We're we're all coming on board the story. So you bought a brand new computer in March 2015. Yes. Laptop or PC? Big thing or just a laptop? It's a... Oh my gosh! It's a um, it's like a tablet laptop. So it's a convertible. It's, it's one of those. Yo- it's, yeah, it's a convertible one. The I Lenovo Yoga is it? Yep. Yoga Beautiful. Three Pro. It is. I've got one myself. I love it. 
Oh, well, I love it too. And I actually bought two because my son bought one at the same time. Okay. And it's the first computer I've ever bought by myself for me. So I was very excited. Very and it was great up until about um, 26th of January. Right. And I went to bed. There's no crack in the screen. Woke up the next morning and there's a very, very fine hairline crack in the screen. Mm. And the computer had been on the desk overnight. I have no idea why it had the crack. I rang Lenovo and they flipped me around to a lot of people every time and was told by Joy to send a photo in, which I did. Mm. Um, was told that it would cost between 250 and 500 to get the crack. That wasn't covered under warranty because I had damaged the computer. Mm. And then I continued using the computer. There was no instruction as to not to use the computer. And then approximately a week later, the computer just died, mid-use. And then I rang Lenovo. They said it would need fixing. I took it out to their um, to the courier place as instructed. Hmm. And then two days later, I got a a bill for a total. Uh, it says on a Saturday uh, for one thousand and six dollars thirty four. And the only comment from the technician was confirm cracked screen and no power. So it didn't tell me what the $854.85 that they want me to pay was covering. And since that day, I've had numerous, one, two, three, I've had probably five or six conversations with various people at Lenovo who've basically fobbed me off um, not given me any information. The last call I had with them was a guy called Patrick in Malaysia. And he said, um, when I asked if I could speak to his manager, that um, the manager was unavailable. He would call me the next day. Um, he told me that the computer, the modem had gone. So that was more information that I'd had from five mm. other people that I'd spoken to. But because the computer sc screen had a, a hairline crack in it, the modem would not be covered under warranty. Wow. Then when I said to him, <laughs> if the warranty, if my computer screen had been cracked and I had, had it fixed and then the t computer was returned to me and the modem went, would it be covered under warranty? And he said, yes, 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 of course it would. So my question to you is, I don't know much about computers. In fact, I'm a novice, my sons will tell you. But it seems to me that I don't, it was a brand new computer. Yep. It's been used by me only, very you know, little by comparison to how my sons, for example, use theirs. It's been well looked after. Mm -hmm. Does the modem relate to a screen? Where do I go from here? Because yeah, I've got, I don't know where the computer is now. Really? Um, so how long have you been Lenovo's, without a computer? How, how long has it been out of your possession? It's been out of my possession. I dropped it off to them on, let me just have a look. Um, I dropped it over to them um, to Toll, which is the courier they use on Thursday the 11th of, um, Thursday the 11th of February. February. Well, look, and so here, here's what I think. I think that the screen is a tough call, right, because... You've got to imagine, and let's play devil's advocate here. Um, you know, yeah. a twelve-year-old boy would likely drop a drop a computer, not tell his mum, and and she she takes it in to get repaired, tells them it wasn't dropped, and it, and it really was. You know, from a Lenovo perspective, they are in. It is a tough one for them on the crack screen, right? Because 
How does a screen just crack on its own? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. What proof do they have? It's a tough one. I personally, if it was me, I'd cop it sweet as Lenovo. I'd cop it sweet and just replace it because you know it's not the end of the world. But let's say yeah. that's just not their policy and the screen needs replacing, then worst case scenario, you should be fixing the screen. You should be paying to fix the screen. Yeah, let, and let, do you know and what, let, what let's, I was happy to do. For now, let's just assume you dropped it and broke the screen. Let's, let's not even forget that we don't understand how the heck it's broken. But okay. the computer's now not working, and that is yeah. nothing to do with the screen at all. I mean, let's, oh, thank you. let's be very clear. I cannot see a linkage between a screen breaking and power not being available to the device. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it Obviously, the screen breaking could cause some electronic corruption. I mean, it, it, maybe there's a link there. But again, they mm. didn't tell you to stop using it, so that was that, let's call that their fault. But in the end, it's, it's a pretty disappointing customer experience. And I, I know That's Lenovo terrible. pretty darn well, um, and I can tell you right now, they'd be filthy. They'd be very unhappy that this was your experience, especially given you're a you're a buy, you're an owner of two. You bought two of them, um, and, and you've bought their you know basically their their top of the line consumer product. You haven't just bought a, a two hundred dollar four hundred dollar laptop. Um, no, I spent a lot of money, so, <laughs> and I spent a lot of money thinking that I'd have it for a while. True, and and that absolutely should be a many year device for you. It's a great device, and it should last you a long time. Um, and a screen should not just randomly crack. But also, uh, aside from that, a computer should not stop working uh, less than a year after it is bought. So I think from a warranty perspective, you absolutely should not have to pay for the overall repair unless they can show somehow. I think they would need to prove beyond reasonable doubt that you caused the screen breakage and the screen breakage caused the power issue. And I think that's a stretch. Okay. So look, I think that you've obviously been through Helen back here. Um let me take it on board for you for a little while. Um, you've been without a thing for for a while. Let me, at the very least, try and get a contact that will have a, an Australian contact who will have a conversation with you about where oh. your device is and how it would work. Personally, I'd like to see them replace the device quickly so that you're back on board. I can't guarantee that's going to happen, but at the very least, I'll represent on your behalf, okay? Oh, oh my gosh. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If, even if I could just speak to someone in Australia... Because every call I've had, even when I asked for the managing director in Australia's name, because they're only around the corner from us, I was told there isn't a managing director in Australia. They work in teams. When I asked what team I should speak to in Australia, I was told they didn't know. Nobody knows. Well, I know a couple of people at Lenovo. I know a couple of great people at Lenovo who would be disappointed by this experience and and they are extremely high up in the organisation and I will make sure that I represent to you, to them your concerns. And hopefully, and I'm not saying we'll get you a free computer. I'm just saying let's just find out what's no, no, happening. No, that's, that's, and, I, I'd just like to get my computer back. And I'd also like to know why, if it's still under warranty as it was when you're it was paying. put in, yeah, yeah. why I'm paying. As, as the last guy, Patrick, that I spoke to, he said I should be very happy because I, I just think I'd have a new screen and I'd have a new modem. And my comment back was, but it's cost me $865 when it was still under warranty. So there mm. seemed to be no understanding that I'm actually paying for that repair, but nobody could explain to me why. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get you uh, – as I say, from my point of view, um, the worst-case scenario is you need to pay to have the screen replaced. And um, the best-case yeah, scenario is you get your computer back fully working at no cost. I mean, that's – that to me is well, the scale. I don't ideal, personally. Happen, but... Well, let me say this: yep. I, I don't accept 
unless they can detail and document to me um, a much more detailed information about this device, I don't accept that you should have yeah. to pay for anything more than the screen. And I think even that is yeah. potentially a stretch. So let's let's find out what they say, okay? Yeah, that'd be terrific. Thank you, thank right. you, thank you. I'm so appreciative. Leave it with me. I do have all your details because you sent me an email originally to get in touch. So leave it with me. I will be in touch with you as soon as I can. Thank you very much. Good on you, Roz. And uh, while I can't help everyone in that way, and, and I can't guarantee Roz an amazing or great outcome, but we can absolutely re- represent on her behalf. So let's see what we can do. If you've got a question, a problem, you want to get in touch, go to the website, eftm.com.au. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. Thank you for listening. If you've got a question about technology, get in touch, go to the website, eftm.com.au. Now, payments is a hugely big business around the world. Uh, There are companies from large and small getting involved in payments, whether they're online, whether it's via your mobile, whether it's anywhere you are. And there's a couple of companies around who've been unbelievably innovative in this space, but unfortunately, we just haven't seen them in Australia. Now, I want to dig deep into why that is, but the good news is one of them has launched today in Australia, and it's called Square. This was the the company founded by um, Jack Dorsey from uh, from Twitter, who is still at Twitter now. Uh, back as the CEO, but it's this little tiny payment system that actually just plugs into your mobile phone and allows you as an, as a small business, a tradie, whatever it might be, to accept payments by card. And uh, it's a very cool product. It's very useful for small business. And the Australian country man- manager, Ben Fister, is on the line. G'day, Ben. How are you, mate? Very well. Thank you. Mate, how long has this been in the making for, the Aussie launch? Uh, yeah, we've been working on it for about a year to a year and a half now. We uh, originally opened our office about a year ago. Uh, we also launched uh, Square Register, which is our free point-of-sale app. And yeah, the last year, we've been working hard on localising uh, Square Reader, um, our payments product. And yeah, today's a very exciting day to have it launched. So what is it? what, what localisation is required for, uh, for Square Reader? Yeah, there's a fair bit. There's some on the softer side just to make sure that we appeal to Australian businesses and just some of their considerations are factored in, whether that be onboarding or the user experience of the app. Uh, There's also localisation in terms of making sure we're set up to do payments and run a payments business in Australia, connect through to a a local provider and making sure that payments um, across the country can be uh, seamlessly processed. So let's let's take people back through the journey. Um, I'm a... I don't know, lawnmower. That's my that's my gig. I mow lawns. You know, I come around. I've, hopefully, we're booked regularly, and uh, and now and then I get the odd uh, one-off job. And you know, I walk up at the end of the job, sweaty as buggery, and I say that'll be 150 bucks. And people are flicking through their wallet trying to look for cash. But everyone carries cards now, and cash is so becoming a rare thing. What Square is is a, and we're talking tiny little little device that plugs into the uh, headphone jack of an Android or iOS phone. So that. That lawnmower man, uh, that landscaper, whoever it might be, pulls the phone out of his pocket, puts the little square reader in and says, yeah, mate, I'll take American Express, Visa, whatever you like. Uh, he hand, that guy hands over his card and he opens the app, swipes or, or inserts the card, and he's immediately receiving credit card payments. Is that the, the essence of Square? Yeah, you've summed it up perfectly. Uh, as well as credit card payments, you can do debit card payments. But, yeah, it really unlocks um, uh, ability for small businesses like the Lorma business to yeah, not have to sign up for lengthy contracts or, or, or be succumb to hidden fees and hidden charges or even irregular payments or simply just being judged by the size of their business or the turnover. So any business that signs up with Square, it's the same 
same flat rate, uh, and you're able to start transacting straight away, and you're exactly right. If you're a mobile business, if you're a tradie, if you've got a fleet of uh, personnel out, out, out on the road, uh, they can all be equipped with one of the readers. Uh, they're very cheap. They're $19. Uh, and anyone can have them. Uh, so whenever they are, yeah, they can make sure they never lose a sale. And whenever someone's got a card to make a payment, they can take that payment on the spot. And you mentioned lengthy contracts and judgment. Um, my experience with that goes back many, many years. Trying to, I think we're trying to sell domain names, and we wanted to be able to. This is crazy. We wanted to. We wanted to accept credit cards on the internet, um, and the bank just went, "You're kidding!" And to allow us to do that, they were taking like four percent of the payments. Now we were a very small business, very small turnover, and that's what we were judged on. And not only the, that, but it was online. So we were giving up 4% of Visa and MasterCard and, I don't know, 5% of Amex. And that's what happens to small businesses, right? They go, you're, you're a small turnover. You're just a shop. You could just be a shop without the whiz bangery of a bank FPOS system. And, and you could ring your bank and they'll say, yeah, the monthly fees are this, the terminal costs this, you've got to have a dedicated line, Plus, you're going to pay this percentage. Square is just, as you say, what you just go to, you order it online. There's going to be available in some retail stores. You literally just pay twenty bucks and then sign up in the app. And as long as you're willing to give Square one point nine percent of all the transactions you pass through, that's it. That's exactly right. It's uh, probably the most exciting part of the value proposition we love to offer small businesses. They don't get judged for how long they've been around or what their turnover is. Uh, every large business. Um, originally starts small. So just the ability that they can they're not be judged in that process. They can onboard really quickly and really simply uh, and they can grow at the pace they want to grow at. And, uh, yeah, no matter what card that gets um, uh, presented to them, whether it's a you know, platinum card or a standard card or any of the networks, so Amex, Visa or MasterCard, doesn't matter what it is. It's all charged at the one simple rate, which is you know great for the small business so they can judge their cash flow uh, and they only have to pay when they grow. Um, so if they have a, have a low month where... Um, they don't have as much turnover, it's no problem. They don't have monthly fees. They don't get hit with any hidden charges for not bringing enough turnover to that that provider. It's mm. just if, if you make money, then you pay the margin. Let's talk about speed in two two parts. Lawnmower Man um, has just taken 150 bucks, and normally he'd drive and fill up his petrol and da-da-da-da with the cash he had. When does he get the cash from Square? When's it in his bank account? Yeah, it's super quick. So it's either the very next day or it might take... Um, an additional day, uh, depending on sort of what time of the weekend it's taken. But yeah, it's basically in your account uh, in most cases within a day. And does it come through as one big chunk or does it come through as all the little payments? No, one big chunk. Right. Uh, but yeah. the beauty of running Square Register, which is the app that you actually process the payment through, you've got a full itemization of every transaction that you've done. So you can go back and you reconcile your books and then you can actually start analysing the data. So no longer is it the privilege of a bigger business that has money to spend on expensive analytics. Um, any small business can now go back and look through their data and their transactions and to see, and that lawnmower can see, making different amounts of revenue at different times of the year from different uh, different customers. So, yeah, they get a full, powerful analytics suite to complement those card transactions. So the other question about speed relates to the transaction itself. Now... You need to meet the person I'm about to tell you about, but it's frustrating as heck. I've introduced him to every possible payment company in the world. Uh, he's a cafe shop owner, runs a very, very busy cafe and only accepts cash. And uh, he has an ATM in there, which he gets a cut of because, you know, the, the fee when people withdraw money obviously gets paid to someone and it's partly to the bank and partly the bloke hosting the ATM. And I think that's half the reason why he likes running cash only, but... 
He also says that it's if he started accepting credit cards, it would slow down the flow of his business because it's just it's a lengthy process and it, it slows the flow down. How quick is, is taking a payment on Square? Yeah, it's incredibly quick. I think the most important thing that um, small businesses are increasingly becoming more aware of is that it's not just about the transaction time. If you can start accepting payments with Square, actually slowing, or you're actually sorry, speeding up the whole process. So not only are you doing transactions faster, but you don't have to double count. You don't have to cash up at the end of the at, at the end of the trading period. You don't have to then handle it back into your cloud cloud, cloud accounting system. Everything just flows through. So from that card transaction all the way through that to being settled in your account, it's all taken care of. So it actually strips a lot of time and manual effort out of the process a small business has to run. Now, I haven't held one in my hand, but I've, I've seen PayPal's version. PayPal, I've got a thing called a PayPal here. It allows you to swipe, insert, tap and go. Square is just tiny. It's a tiny little thing that plugs into the bottom of the phone. Is it, uh, is it all those functionalities, swipe, chip and tap and go? Yeah, the one thing we're most excited about is our engineering team has done an incredible job to, you know, create an absolutely tiny little form factor which helps different businesses to throw it in your pocket. It is an amazing bit of engineering, which we're really proud of. Um, at the moment, we accept Mac, Stripe um, and Chip. We don't accept contactless because uh, the overwhelming thing that we've heard from, you know, all our market research and the, and, and the small businesses we've talked to is that that's important uh, and they want to see that come through in future products. But the iconic device that is the Square Reader and has been used by millions of businesses uh, around the world, they want to see that in Australia. Um, and they don't want to sacrifice that for bigger form factor or more cost at this stage. They just say, I want something small and it's a low cost and then I can set card payments with. So it's been really well received. So you'd assume that down the track there's a, a more expensive version because obviously it's more technology. NFC, tap and go, it requires a whole bunch more things. It may even require power, therefore it can't be a headphone jack thing. It might need to be a different little kit, but obviously that's just depending on demand. It's just that in Australia, as you would well know, Ben, the uh, Australians have adopted tap and go contactless payments at a faster rate per capita than anyone else in the world. So you would think that we'd be going, why can't I just tap and go? But I guess it's not going to slow down the process. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, from our perspective, contactless transactions is a really exciting part of our future product roadmap. But at this stage, the overwhelming feedback that we've had is that this device has been in other markets and Australians want it. Um, and so we're just keen to get this product out first uh, and meet most of the use cases that any business might have. So, yeah, super keen just to keep it at a really low price point and make sure it's as mobile as possible. Do you have to have an ABN? Uh, no, you don't. You don't. So just the businesses that run with an ABN, uh, we'll put those in when you're signing up. But if you're a real small uh, sole trader that doesn't have an ABN, that's fine. You could be a babysitter. Absolutely, yeah. It's very cool. I mean, you could be someone who does school tutoring. You could be someone who does piano lessons, you know, really low turnover who would never consider accepting credit cards. But the simplicity, the the automation of it all means that you could just go, yeah, fine, you can pay by MasterCard, you can pay by debit card, and Square Read is all they need. Absolutely, and you've summed it up really well in terms of, you know, card payments aren't the privy of medium to large size businesses. Yeah. You know, any business of any size, micro, mobile, even what we refer to as nano businesses, you know, anyone can need these uh, to be able to accept card payments, and, and that's what we're proud to bring to the Australian market. Very exciting. I understand they're coming to Bunnings, Officeworks, and Apple stores soon, but right now you can buy, get them on the website. What's the website? Uh, square.com.au. Uh, you go up and they can sign up literally in minutes and they can have a re- reader shipped out to them within a couple of business days. So, yeah, really easy to access um, and anyone can apply for it today.
Good on you, mate. Uh, it's a great idea. I've, I've followed it since it. I remember it's got to be five or six years now, doesn't it? Um, and I remember seeing it for the first time thinking, that's crazy. But here it is finally in Australia. Good luck. Thank you very much and thanks for your time. So a couple of things about drones and then uh, a partial interview about drones. Uh, I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, I had a quick look again at the Parrot Bebop 2. Um, it was uh, announced in Australia. I saw this at CES uh, in January, but its Australian availability was announced uh, this week. Uh, it'll be available late March. It'll be $899 just for the drone. And if you want the Sky Controller version, I think it's $1299. So that's much more affordable this year with the Sky Controller. And frankly... You want the Sky Controller because it gives you much better range, control, stability than just flying around with an iPad. Plus, if you buy the the drone on its own and then want the Sky Controller later, you'll up you'll end up spending more than what you could have or should have at the start. That's a great little drone. It has some very cool features, um, including kind of a flight path, so you can set a path and then it'll fly it. And there are some add-on apps that that Parrot have invested in and they own that are stunning, including doing like flyovers to create 3D style, you know, like Google Maps or Apple Maps style 3D pictures of, uh, you know, your property or your home or whatever it might be. It's very, very cool. Um, That I can't wait to have a fly of. I'm going to try and take a bunch of drones uh, for a flight in a week or so and and give you a full review. And the other one that was announced uh, just after I recorded last week's show was the Phantom 4. Now, the Phantom range of drones has been excellent. Uh, the Phantom 1 was good. The Phantom 2 I bought was excellent. The Phantom 3, amazing. Um, the Phantom 4, <clears throat> its big selling feature is Sentinel Void. So it actually has uh, cameras in the legs and, and the body of it that aren't there for video recording or photo recording. They're just there to see around. And it can actually sense and avoid things. So if you've, if you've set it on a path to fly a certain way and it's coming up to a big rock formation, it'll just fly over it. Um, or if you're flying into it yourself, it'll just stop. Um, and it also has an, the ability for you to kind of draw or like highlight a person on the screen and it'll follow that person without having to have tracking on that person like a wristband or a phone. Those are very cool features. Very cool. I don't need them though. So that's why I wouldn't upgrade. And I'm also worried that people are going to buy a drone with sense and avoid technology and crash it because they think it's going to see everything. I can't imagine it's going to see um, power lines. It may not see every tree. It also only looks forward. It doesn't look sideways. So you need to be very careful how you fly it, I would argue. So those devices have just been announced. You can read more about them at eftm.com.au. Now, um, I had a fantastic chat lined up with a guy called Mark Stevens, who is the CEO of a company called Measure Australia. And they're heavily involved in the drone industry, drone regulations, uh, commercial applications for drones in, in defense, in, in mining, in, in agriculture, and a whole range of places. And it was a great chat. Halfway through the chat, I looked down and realized something weird was going on with my recording and, well, it didn't record. But I kept him talking and, and captured a good nine minutes of conversation. So um, uh, unfortunately, it's not the chat I wanted you to hear, but there is, I think, some some good conversation that you'll you'll jump into here. Imagine you've just walked into the room and you can't rewind, um, and and this is the chat you get. I um, I'll bring it to you um, from his first response to my question about you might have seen the Westpac rescue helicopters announced a drone of some description in uh, at beach areas, and it's kind of like a helicopter, not a drone. And um, 
Well, I wanted to ask what he thought of that. I think it's interesting. I think there are two sort of uh, approaches there. So one approach is, do you give every beach a small drone? Right, And yep. you rely on the people at that, the, the surf lifesavers at that beach to operate that. And it, it's going to have, you know, short duration. It's going to be maybe 40 minutes at a time or something. Um, or do you do something which is layered? So do you actually have a UAV or two UAVs or three UAVs flying up and down the coast constantly in some mm. sort of coordinated fashion. Yep. And then do you have a small UAV to respond locally if you need to? Or, or there's always going to be a role for the helicopter, but then do you send a helicopter out for those particular um, uh, incidents that require you know, that sort of response? You know, our, our view is that it's, that's probably what it looks like. So you have what we would call persistent surveillance, which is continual surveillance up and down the coast during the times that people are at the beach, so from 6am to you know, 8pm in the uh, in the summer. Mm. Um, and then you have some sort of local capability, which is represented by that small helicopter that you, that was uh, you know, yeah. publicised a couple of weeks ago. And, and just getting back to, uh, to what we were mentioning about, you know, agriculture and those things, mm. is, um, is it uh, likely to be a the kind of handover out of the box kind of concept for a farmer to operate or do you yeah. see uh, operations coming to do certain work for farmers with drones yeah so look we, we we're um we have a uh, we've done a lot of work in the ag space in trying to sort of come up with the concept and i think that um there's sort of two approaches so one approach is just the drone itself so you can you know fly fences and and bores and uh, you can do herd counts and mm. you can all do all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I think the sort of next level is something that we've started to work on with um, uh, a friend of ours um, who is the chairman of a robotics company where you um, use UAVs to sort of collect data about what's happening on the farm or you might right. get four or five farmers to work together in, in a sort of collective sense. So you have... Uh, they all contribute collectively to uh, a drone or a couple of drones and they fly and they collect information about the farm and the pasture and all that sort of stuff. And then that information is sent back to a uh, to a computer which has some analytic uh, analytics in it and then those analytics determine what needs to happen on the farm and either the farmer responds by going and doing it or even maybe a robot might go and do it. So a tractor, mm. you know, pre... Um, uh, you know, pre set up for that sort of task, then is dispatched to go and harvest that part of the paddock. Or and knows where to go because the drone, the drone has identified it and dispatched a, yes. a self-driving Massey Ferguson. Maybe, yeah. And in fact, the guy that is that is doing inventing the, the robotic part of this, and you, as your program, you might want to. It's a great Australian technology called Swarm Farm Robotics. Oh. Um, they're doing this great work with robots in agriculture, but um, the guy who invented those robots was exactly that, sitting by his tractor at 2 o'clock in the morning. The tractor was you know, doing its tracking up and down the paddock on mm. autopilot, basically, mm. on you know, GPS, and but he had to sit there for safety's sake, and he's thinking, well, you know, why the hell am I sitting here at 2 a.m. doing this when a robot could do it? And that was the sort of genesis of what's become quite an amazing sort of 
development for him. So, mm-hmm. um, and we're pretty excited by that. You know, we think that um, that whole sort of information environment for agriculture is a really massive opportunity for Australia, and we think that it's a great innovation. And uh, we're, you know, we're hoping that we're going to get some people to help us sort of develop that. What's the time frame for this industry? I mean, when does it? Yeah. I mean, it's obviously getting a lot of attention now. When does it hit yeah. peak? Um, you know, standardisation. When when is when is drones just a standard thing, not a not a not an amazing thing? When does one farmer just go, yeah, yeah what sort of you got? Instead of, oh my god, you've got yeah. one. <laughs> uh, look, I, we think that the industry could be in Australia could be a billion dollars a year in revenue, um, and we think that in five years it'll be commonplace. Now, I'm not suggesting that it'll be everywhere, but I think that. Uh, like we, we had a we had a situation a few weeks ago where we were asked to fly um, over an area that had been affected by bushfires. We had an insurance a client who's an insurance loss adjustment business, and they mm-hmm. wanted to get UAPs in there as early as possible to, to assess the damage so they could process claims for their customers faster, which yep. is I think a great use of the technology. Absolutely. Um, anyway, we we couldn't we weren't allowed to go in there because the people who were controlling the airspace were. You know, they didn't really understand the technology and they really didn't, they weren't supportive of what we wanted to do. And one of the things they said was that they thought that their their um, citizens in that area might think that the UAVs were UFOs and they might be scared. Oh, my God. And so, you know, you know, it's, it's almost hard to believe, but that, that was honestly what they said. So, look, you know, I think that the reality is that you know, in five years' time, it'll be a pretty standard sort of fare, and um, we think that um, between now and then, that you know, the take-up is going to be exponentially great. Um, you know, there are well over 1,500, I think, UAV manufacturers now globally, and um, you know, and a, you know, a, a much larger number of of organisations creating sensors and software and all sorts of you know tools that are an essential part of the sort of drone operations. Mm. So. And and on the CASA regulation front, you're obviously working mm. with them. You, you, you're 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 respected in the drone industry. What what yeah. do you see, see as being the time frame on this? Because you know it's it's a government body. It's uh, yeah. So yeah, look, we we think we think they're doing great work. I'd have to say because it's difficult and it's like anything. You know, the industries move tend to move faster than legislation. But, but there are a couple of things that we're sort of really. Uh, keen for CASA to do, and, and they're quite close. So CASA has told the industry that they're going to have a help desk set up, which is going to allow you to get an authorisation to operate in a, in a, like in CBD in Sydney, for instance, uh, on on uh, 24 hours notice rather than 28 days, which is what mm-hmm. it is at the moment. So yeah. you can just ring the help desk, give them the task, and get an approval. We think that's essential yeah. for uh, you know the industry to sort of keep progressing. And the second one for us is operations beyond line of sight because we have agriculture clients, you know, who have properties of, a, you know, 100,000 square kilometres who want to use UAVs and that essentially involves us flying 18, 20 hours in a mission, you know, well beyond line of sight. And uh, that at the moment, uh, there are some challenges with that as far as regulations are concerned, but we're hoping that uh, for trusted operators like mm. ourselves and those who demonstrate the capability to do it, that we'll be able to do those sorts of that sort of flying, uh, you know, in the next sort of uh, before the end of the year. I'm hoping anyway. Before the end of the year, that's a long time yeah. away. 
because you yeah, they'll, they'll do it all in one yeah. hit. They won't do the consumer stuff and then your stuff. They'll they'll do it all in one hit. Look, I think um, so. At the moment, you know, fifteen kilometres is the extent of um, the flight you can do from the ground station. Um, and depending on where you are, you know, fifteen kilometres in itself might represent beyond line of sight. But um, uh, who's got line of sight fifteen kilometres away? Yeah, well, you know, I guess if you're on the top of a hill or something, you might have that. You know, big binoculars, I'm assuming. Yeah, well, the size of the drone, you know, it's probably difficult to see it, you know, more than a kilometre from where you are, depending yeah. on its size. Yeah, but, right. um, you know, I think we, we we just feel that's pretty fundamental to the full realisation of the capacity, especially in, in those remote locations for agriculture and mining in particular, where you don't have the challenges of that controlled airspace that you have in the, in the cities. Well, I just hope that the uh, the consumer-style uh, re-regulation, because it needs re-regulation, yeah. including, I don't yeah. bring on licensing, bring on registration, bring on all those things. I think that's that's sure. the right way to go. I hope that doesn't yeah. have to wait till the end of the year. I hope they can do that in the, in the, in the months ahead. Yeah, well, I hope so too. Well, it's yeah. very interesting. It was great to chat. Um, it's an interesting field and it must be, it's going to be weird when you think, you know, five years away that you were there, Ten and more years ago, when for right. such a young industry, it's a very exciting thing to yeah. be a, be a part of it's so incredible. so early. It's exciting, and th- thank you for your interest in it. And um, and well done to your son, who's obviously a bloody genius. Thinking of that early on, <laughs> he's uh, he's a great young man. There's no doubt about that. Good on you, mate. Thanks for the chat. Okay, thanks, Trevor. Your tech life with Trevor Long. I won't lie. I I hope that made sense. I I, I promise I'll um bring you more from uh, that great company as as the drone regulations evolve uh, throughout the year they'll be a great asset to us to talk to and try and explain in layman's terms things so uh yeah all good um thank you for listening thank you for downloading it's been a lovely week um a whole brave new world begins on thursday as uh as i become a unemployed i mean self-employed person (laughs) um um it's been an awesome seven and a half years i've been at sbs for every I've been an employee of SBS every single episode of this show. Um, so it is a brave new world. I've been doing this stuff, though, for a very long time. So hopefully I find a whole range of things that uh, that keep me uh, in, keep me busy and uh, keep the house over the head of my wife and children and I. Um, and we shall soon see. Um, but I look forward to that challenge without question. So lots coming up. It's been a great seven and a half years at SBS site. Appreciate the support of the managing director Michael Ebed, um, the 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 my current boss Noel Leslie, the CTO, um, the director of radio or ALC uh, Mandy Wicks, and uh, and one of my best mentors and uh, and coaches in business and and uh, and work, uh, Dirk Anthony, who's no longer there but he's in the UK. I've had a great time. I met a heap of great people. I got involved in a hugely awesome product um, products and innovations like. Uh, like the Freeview Plus platform, and, and I saw a lot of work go into things like the Apple TV and uh, and all the uh, SBS On Demand apps, and those things were very cool. But um, my, my, actually, my job wasn't anything really to do with technology for the majority of that time. It was around managing people and uh, managing budgets, and uh, it's time to move on from that. So let's see what happens. Let's see what happens next. Join me on the journey as uh, as we take it a little bit more seriously here on Your Tech Life and EFTM. Uh, but thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. I'll be back again next week. Will you? Will you? Uh, And uh, join me on Twitter. Jump on Twitter, twitter.com. Download the app, Twitter, and uh, follow me, at Trevor Long. Let's talk soon. Thanks, everyone.